you haven't found it yet, keep looking for Jude. Go to Revelation, go back half a page. Let's go ahead and pray. God, to you belongs all dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore, God. Let these words that we sing come and sink deep into our hearts through your word, God. Give us a posture of humility as we come and bow before your Son, our King, and place ourselves under your word, your eternal word, that we might find out who we are in light of your love and grace. Amen. Amen. So we are all students, and you have to ask yourself, what did the world teach you this week? As you've been watching Netflix or consuming your media, watching every artillery shell go off in Ukraine, don't really care much about the civil war in Yemen or Myanmar, Ethiopia. For some reason, don't care about those. But you have, so you have to ask yourself, how does the world shape how you see the world and everything else that's going on around you? But not only that, not just seeing the world, but how does the world shape the way you see yourself. It'll be easy, especially now, to rail against a society from the pulpit, and that's not what we're here to do, but you have to have a sober awareness, at least, of what's happening around us. So you're called to believe again and again and again. You're called to believe that your value and your self-worth are directly tied to your productivity. So, if you're not productive... If you're ill and unable to go out and work, you have little value. Actually, you have no value. You're an expense on the national health care system. Don't you know that? Go do something about that. Or if you're a man, you can be happily married to multiple men. And if you can't have children, it's not a problem. You can just adopt. Or if you're a woman... It's a little more complicated now because we no longer know what a woman is. But whatever this woman thing is, you can actually transition to it, even though we don't know what it is. And you find yourself being this liberated God of the masses. Perhaps most cutting of all is a constant reminder that you are not precious in the eyes of God. No, but rather you're an accident. The result of some slime that burst its way out of the sea and landed on land. They have no value. This is the the, the irony in, in our culture here. You have no value. You're reminded of that. You're just an accident. But everyone is special. Competition is bad. But everyone is a winner. Natural selection is good. It's the way the world works. But a virus that kills the weak and vulnerable, that's bad and evil. So what have you been taught this week? 
That's one side of the spectrum. The other side, they've been taught this week that this giant Oompa Loompa is going to come along with his orange skin in two and a half more years and save America and Western civilization. And this is what the society will bring to you. And, and you're, you're forced to choose either one or the other. Either you no longer know what a woman is, or you place your hope in this giant Oompa Loompa who's going to come along and save the masses. And just go ahead and pick your side. And when you do, don't forget, part of the fun is that you actually get to hate the other side. You don't know why, but you do. So what is the world teaching you this week? As the world around us continues in incoherence and darkness as its light, we must continually, brothers and sisters, come to the Word of God to find out who we are and how we are to live. And you will find that you liber- your, your identity is not something that you're, you're liberated from, that you're going to claim it for yourself, but no, rather it is something that is given to you by God and given to you by God, your Creator. So that's what brings us to our, our text here this morning. Let's just go through it here. Jude, verses 1 and 2. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So what are we going to see here? What's the main thrust of this sermon? You're going to see that all of your identity is in Christ. Something, something you claim for yourself. It's not something the world will give to you. No, all of your identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. So first part we're going to see here is that we have the posture of a servant. We have a posture of a servant. But then we get to the essence of who we really are. We have a posture of servant who is called, and then finally, to live out mercy, peace, and love. We're nearing the end here. We'll take a couple minutes talk about our, our sermon series that we're going to be wrapping up next week. We've been nearing, well, we are nearing the end here, and it's beneficial to remind us of uh, where we've been here. And our hopes in going through all of this, going back to Genesis and pouring over the word section by section is to bring you to realize, many of you heard this multiple times, but you have to rehearse this truth, to bring you to realize that everything is pointing to Christ. Every word in God's Holy Word is pointing to the Word of Life, to Christ. And we rehearse this story week after week after week to see how does this point to Christ. So that on Wednesday morning, when you're in the world and you start to hear their narrative, and you start to go, am I going to believe this or not? You can look at your own life and see, how am I supposed to point this towards Christ? How am I supposed to glorify Christ in the midst of all of this? And that is our aim. So in the beginning, there was the creation of all in Christ is the, is the one through whom all things were made. And then we have the fall right afterwards. But what is their hope? Their hope is in Christ, the Messiah to come. And then we have our exodus out of Egypt and out of sin. And it is accomplished through the sacrifice of another. Through the spotless lamb, which is the lamb of Christ. 
Now they're wandering and they're out of their sin, but they're going, how do we approach the holiness of God? Leviticus. And we do it. How do we do it? We do it through Christ. How do we get into the throne room of God where God dwells? Through the sacrifice of Christ. So who's going to be then, as we're wandering, who's going to be, we get to the, the Jordan River, who's going to be the one to lead us into the promised land? Well, it's going to be our great deliverer. His name is Yeshua, Joshua, who's a figure of Christ. And we're living in the land, and the prophets are bringing the word of God to, to pull us from idolatry. These words, we need them just as much as they did. It's easy for us to look back at them and think they're foolish. No, they're to us as well. The prophets are bringing them the word of God, pulling them, begging them, calling them to come out of their idolatry. And what are they delivering to them? The word of Christ. And what is the great hope that they are delivering to them? Read Isaiah 7 through 9. What is it? That Christ will come. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Their hope is fulfilled in Christ. And then great day happens and the word of God comes in the flesh. This is the one for whom the John the Baptist spoke. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away our sins. It is Christ and it is Christ again. The one for whom the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What is it? It's Christ again. The one who opens our eyes. When we are blind and he lifts the lame to walk and he forgives the sins of the untouchables and the unpardonables, it is Christ. It is Christ and to him that we cry, God, I believe, help my unbelief. And the one who is wrapped up on the cross and pierced in his hands and his feet, again, it is Christ. The one on whom the wrath of God was poured out while darkness covered the land, it is Christ. The one who was raised from the dead, that we too might obtain this glorious resurrection from the dead. It's Christ. The name that was proclaimed throughout the nations, we see throughout Acts. It's Christ. There's no other name under heaven and earth by which men and women must be saved. The one who's interceding for his sheep, his beloved at this very moment in the throne room of God, that is Christ. The one who will return for his bride and will be named faithful and true and he will come riding on a white horse in final victory once and for all to punish all of his enemies, to kill Satan and to bring death to death. Ah, it is Christ. And the true groom of the church, us, his bride, with whom we will feast and rejoice forever and ever. Again, it is Christ. And the one whom we will worship, if you are in him and trust in him, the one whom you will worship throughout all of eternity, it is Christ. You'll be crying out, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, beginning to end, it is all Christ. So when you go back into the world this week, 
on Sunday seems quite distant, and you hear the narrative of the world and the story they want to tell you. And they will diminish Christ and they will elevate you. But they will elevate other things. You must keep this truth before you. Keep Christ as the center of all things. So here in our text, what you're going to see specifically, it's not just Christ as the center of all of human history, which is true. But Christ is the center. So he's not just transcendent, but he's imminently close as well. Christ is the center of even your identity, of the, the essence of who you are, is in Christ. It's not that you're, you're just a mom or a stay-at-home mom or a successful businessman. No, no, no. That, that's not it. You're right. it's, it's, it's so much more than that. Don't buy that lie. It's a cheap cop-out. So much more. You're a child of God through Christ. That is who you are. So what do we see here? The first part. Jude, a servant of Christ and brother of James. Jude's his, uh, humility is just coming through here in the first line. He regards himself as a servant of Christ and yet a brother of James. You see what's happening here. He's a brother of the brother of Christ. Meaning... He's a half-brother of Christ. He doesn't throw that out there, though, right away. I had a, a chance encounter with a gentleman who introduced himself. His name was Raham Ali. And he introduced himself. He didn't even give his name. It just came up, and I didn't remember it was. But he said, I'm the brother of Muhammad Ali. And I said, that's great. I'm the brother of John Tonic. Good, good to meet you. Like, that was his essence. That's the way he's going to get some gaining and standing in the world. It wasn't who I am, but it's who I am in relation to my brother. And Jude, he's not playing that game. He's like, all right, I'm a brother of James. Okay. But who am I in relation to Christ? I'm a servant. Now, the root here of the, of the word of the servant, it's the same word. It can be translated servant or also uh, slave, quite frankly. And it's, it's unconscionable for us to think of ourselves in this way because of the evils of slavery. And all of us are made in the image of God. You want to know why slavery is evil? This is it. All of us are made in the image of God to obey Him, to worship Him, to bow our knees before Him and Him alone as our sovereign King. So the evil of slavery is not that we refuse to bow our knees before our sovereign King. The evil of slavery is that you are forcing other people to bow their knees before you. It's self-idolatry. That you are not just subjecting people, but you are taking the place of God in their life. So that your will becomes their will. Your dictation becomes their dictation. You say it, they do it. Yeah, but what Jude is saying is that, no, I'm, I'm a servant, I'm a slave, yes, but I'm a servant and slave of Christ. It's no longer my will and my desires. It's only His will is done in my life. It's only His desires are brought forth in my actions in all that I do. I am indeed a servant of Christ who empties myself and entrusts myself into the loving hands of Christ. So our relation to Christ and our posture towards Him is that of a servant. So often you, you, 
it's tempting to think. It comes up in conversations before people catch it. And they go like, it's a hint as though God's lucky to have me, you know. Yes, you're his beloved. But your posture is that of a servant. You do his will. You do his beckoning and his call. And you do it joyfully. So when he, when he says, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers men, what do you do? Well, you come. When he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, what do you do? You go. He says, well, give all that you have to the poor. What do you do? Well, you give it. Or he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What do you do? It. Well, you repent. If he says, let your light shine before men so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, what do you do? You let your light shine before men so that they won't glorify you, but that they'll glorify your Father in heaven. If he says to leave your gift at the altar and go reconcile, be reconciled with your brother, what do you do? Well, you go and you be reconciled with your brother or sister in Christ. If he tells you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, what do you do? Well, you do it. You love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. If he tells you, reminds you again and again, which we need in this culture, to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth breaks in, where neither moth nor rust destroy, nor thieves break in and steal. What do we do? We take all of our things that God has given us, and He's given it to us in abundance. And we use them as tools to store up treasure in heaven. Or if He tells us, as we see so much happening in the world around us, to not be anxious about your life, or what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will what you will put on. What do we do? We just let the sovereign hand of God, as our, as we have a posture of uh, being a slave and a servant towards Christ, we let His His sovereign care wash away our anxiety. That's what we do. You didn't hear that message this week while you were in the world. You're not your own. You are a servant and a slave of Christ. You are not made to gratify yourself, nor were you made to glorify yourself. To fight for that promotion, to push other people aside. No, that's not what you were made for. You were created to glorify Christ in all that you have and all that you are as His servant. Okay, so we have Jude, servant of Christ Jesus and brother of James. That's the posture of Jude towards Christ. And I'm just going to see the essence of, of who we really are here in these next couple of words here. To those who are called, beloved, and God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Who are you? And how do you think of yourself? Again, the world will be pulling out the strings of your pride and bringing you to think that you're capable, and indeed you have the right to create and project your own identity. So, But if you want to understand what's happening, what do you do when you're struggling with who you are and how you ought to be? Go back to Genesis 1 through 3 again and again and again and read it again and again and again. You want to find the struggles of the world? Read Genesis 1 through 3 again and again and again. 
You will see that Adam and Eve, they have an identity, but it's nothing that they've sought for themselves. Rather, it's rooted in God and woven into the fabric of their existence. It says, let us create man in our image, after our likeness. It's rooted in who God is, in His existence. That's our identity. So straight... Starting right here in the garden, we have our identity. And it's not of our own creation, but because we are created. That's why you have an identity. And you're created in the image of God. So back to our text here. Judas, using the fact that they are called as a means of addressing them. You see that? That's how he, that's how he addresses them. He calls them those who are called all of you are new here at some point in time. And if I asked you your name, I'd probably asked you three or four times because I'm horrible with names, so don't take it personally. But none of you, not one of you, uh, said that you were called. Who are you? Well, I'm called. Well, called what? You know, well, that's a good question. You know, that, that's not how we think of ourselves. We'll, we'll have our name or we'll give it out, but it's not the, the essence of who we truly are. The name their parents give you can, they can, doesn't dictate who you are, but how God works in your heart. That shapes who you are. So what does it mean? It's when we think of call, we, I'm going to call someone, I'm going to project my voice over to them, and then it's done. They can do with it whatever they want. But in, in the biblical sense, what's happening here is, is that when you're called, you, you are summoned. You are beckoned to come, and you cannot do otherwise, because the Spirit of God is going to work in you, and it will bring that to fruition, and you can't deny it within your own heart. Look at what Paul is saying in Romans 8. He said, Those whom he foreknew me, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Among many. Those whom he predestined, he also what? He called them. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is what you want as your identity. That you are foreknown, you are predestined, you are called, you are justified, and you would be glorified in Christ. The world, they can give you whatever they want. I'll take the present calling and the future glory of Christ anytime. That is my identity. That is who I am. That cannot be taken from you. So they rejoice. Paul also says in Galatians 1, But when he who has set me apart from before I was born, it's not of your own will, it's not of your own creation. It's not because you're good, it's not because God needs you. You were set apart before creation. And who called me so sweetly, he called me by his grace. We are called, brothers. We are called out of darkness and into light, out of the world and into the kingdom of God, out of our sin and into holiness, consecration and devotion to God. And out of the grasp of the world and the grip of the world and into the tender hands of God our Father. So this is... What it also looks like, your, your, your calling, it looks like this, that you are beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. You're beloved in God, the Father. 
just let that settle in and sink into your hearts. You're called out of your past sin and all of your uncertainty and brought into the belovedness of God the Father. We just pass right over it. Like it's an introduction. It's nothing. No. Think about that. Out of all your sin, you're called out of all of this and into the belovedness of God the Father. Recently, one of our kids was in a little bit of competition on a, on a Saturday. And he was my son, and it didn't go very well. And in the hallway, in the midst of all of his frustration and tears, I had one job. Look at me. Look at me. Do you know that I love you? Washes everything else away. To know that you are beloved by your Father. And this is what you are called into. So you're not only kept by Christ, you see in John 10, but you are kept for Christ. That God will sustain you in this calling until Christ comes back in all of his glory to redeem his bride once and for all. He'll be kept. He's the one doing the work and he will sustain it in your heart. So, okay, we have a posture of a servant. Our identity is that we are called, we are beloved, and we are kept. We are kept to this. To live out a life of mercy and peace and love. Let's just go back to our text. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the beloved, and the brother of James. To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Remember as you're studying the Bible, the choice implies meaning. Jude chose to write these words in this particular order. And there's a meaning behind it. Mercy is the demeanor of God. Mercy is the demeanor of God towards those who have been called. Peace then is the result that we have of this mercy. This mercy, this, this holding back of, of the wrath. So that it wouldn't be poured out upon us, but it would be poured out upon Christ when he's on the cross during those hours of darkness. So then we have peace with God. Surpasses all understanding. And then the result of that, remember the demeanor of God is mercy towards us. And then the demeanor of us towards others is love. Love towards God. Love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. This goes on and on. So when Jude is going to address some difficulties that's happening within the church, he reminds them of this and gives them this great calling to let them know, you are in Christ and you will sustain yourself there. So what does Jude get to then? What's the application we see here? We'll go to verse 3. What do we do? We contend, contend for the saints, or for the faith. Contend for the faith. This, this 
The very thing that you were, you were called out of the darkness and this is your new identity. That you have mercy and peace and love of God reigning in your hearts with a, a posture of, of being a slave and a servant towards Christ. Well, what do you do? Well, you fight for this faith, right? You're defended towards those who are attacking, but you also go in the offensive and teach others about this glorious doctrine, this truth that we deserve hell, but no, we've been called out of the darkness and into glory and we are awaiting our eternal king. It's so, it's, it's so mind-boggling. No wonder why the world thinks it's foolishness. But no, this is your great hope. This is what you have. So every great bit of literature, what do they do? Well, they copy parts of it. That's what you have is a great story in literature. They're copying this great truth of God. That the king will come and redeem his bride and keep her forever safe in his glory. That's the truth. So what do you do? Well, you fight for this faith. As our brothers and sisters have done throughout millennia. Both defending and, and also teaching. And then go to verse 21. What do we do? You keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't be like those with whom the faith must be defended against. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Continue in this. It's not burdensome. It's not toilsome. It's your joy. It's your delight. Why? Because you've been given a new identity. You've been called out of this. That's who you are. It's the essence of who you are. Live it out. Live out who you are. Then finally, what do we do? Well, we keep others in the love of God. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Watch over your brothers and sisters in Christ. Watch over them carefully. Be mindful of their souls and where they're at. Don't let them go down the road of those first steps towards sin and despair. No, call them back. Bring them back. That's your job. Bring them into the fold as well. And then and then only, we are going to be able to stand up and say, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory. How? With great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. Gracious God, we we want you to, to rule and to reign in our lives, God. And it's so easy to believe the, the, the lies, whether they try to lift us up or tear us down, that the world will present to us, God, like a little serpent who is more crafty than all of the other beasts, making its way into the garden. God, protect our hearts. Let us not believe anything but the word that you have given us, that we are called and we are beloved in you, God our Father, and that we will be kept by Christ, and we will be kept for Christ in his great appearing, God, and let in our church, God, let mercy and peace and love be woven into the fabric of how we interact with each other, that you might be glorified and that your dominion might be fully known in our presence. We would be a people 
marked by your love and for your glory. Amen. Amen.